0: You're listening to Pros Like Us, brought to you by NFL Draft Blitz. And now, without any further ado, here's Alex and Lou. That's right, gang. We are back and better than last week, we hope. Welcome to another episode of Pros Like Us. Joining me, as always, is our co-host, Alex Kavtoff. Alex, how are you?
1: Doing great, Lou. Uh, Just ready to talk some football. I've I've missed it. You know, I've needed this adrenaline rush. You know how much I love the game and just... Talk about the draft and talk about the NFL and give my opinions, even if they seem ridiculous and out of this world. But, you know, those are my opinions. I stick by them. I Ready to talk some football. All right.
0: Well, that's what we're here for. Uh, Specific opinions, outlandish, if you would, some a little bit more. You know, closer to the norm. But anyway, we're going to talk about some breakout players for this year. But before we do, as we sit here and record, you know, geez, you know, looking at the calendar, we are post-June 1. So for those players that are looking to be traded and the salary cap ramifications being a little lessened for the trading teams, let's go. Come on, Aaron Rodgers, where are you going? Julio Jones. Zach Ertz. Other than that, it's a pretty quiet time uh, leading into uh, mandatory mini camps. That's where things I think are going to get a little interesting uh, as far as this time of year goes because leading into the OTA season, it seemed like players themselves were kind of saying, hey, we want to do things virtually. You know, everything worked out well last year. Let's leave well enough alone. But at the end of the day, I mean, most teams had like 80 90% participation. Top players were there, except for Aaron Rodgers, of course, and Brady's kind of nursing an injury. Uh, mandatory mini camps are coming up this month, so you know we'll see if anybody's going to you know, stick to their guns. So, breakout players for this year. Uh, we're going to talk about some guys that, uh, whether it's opportunity or just pure upside, here we go. Alex, who do you got first?
1: I'm going to go with C.D. Lamb the wide receiver from the Cowboys. Uh, he fell in the 2020 NFL draft. I thought he was going to be the first wide receiver taken. The, the Dallas Cowboys were fortunate enough to pick him up at 17. They didn't think he, he was going to be available. Well, Ceedee Lamb had a nice rookie season. All right, If you look at his numbers, 74 receptions, 935 yards, 5 touchdowns. But when Dak Prescott was in the lineup, before he got injured, Ceedee Lamb was becoming his favorite target. We have Amari Cooper on the team, and you know we've got you know some other targets as well. But I believe with Dak Prescott coming back this season, Ceedee Lamb is going to become his number one target. Yes, he's a slot receiver, but I think he's going to go over 1,200 yards. I think he's going to catch over 100 plus receptions. He's a guy that doesn't drop balls. He runs good routes. He's able to get open, and I just think those those sticky hands, those strong hands are going to serve him well, especially in the red zone. We know the type of season that Justin Jefferson had with the Minnesota Vikings, and he was certainly ecstatic to get him where they got him, but I think CeeDee Lamb is going to prove to everyone he's going to emerge as a second-year player, and a lot of it is going to depend on the health of Dak Prescott. If he's healthy, the sky is the limit for CD Lamp.
0: I mean, I agree with you there. I mean, he's got a chance to be, you know, a great player and the fact that again, you know, Dak Prescott is coming back, you know, obviously he was his numbers were much greater when Dak was in there. So, you can only uh kind of extrapolate for the entire year if he is uh, the quarterback and Amari Cooper's always been one of those hot and cold type players. You never know what you're going to get. So, yeah, I mean, I think he's got as good a shot of any. My first, I kind of, not quite a fantasy approach, but I did. I did a tight end, a wide receiver, a running back, and a quarterback. At the tight end position, I had a couple of candidates. Tyler Higby with the Rams, obviously. Uh, Everett's gone now, so it's kind of his job. Irv Smith Jr., Kyle Rudolph being gone, young player, a lot of great physical skills, but again, it's Minnesota and Kirk Cousins. I'm going kind of deep here, but my first guy, tight end, is going to be New Jersey-born, Jersey-tough, smart as smart can be, Harvard kid, Anthony Ferkser, tight end from Tennessee. Yes, Anthony Ferkser. He's now number one on the depth chart. Johnny Smith is gone. They lost their number two receiver, Corey Davis. There's a lot of, I guess, empty targets at this point, and they have to go somewhere. And year over year, for the last three years, his targets have gone up. Now, again, they're fairly minimal. 20 is first year, 24 the second year, you know, a couple of games for most guys. But last year was 53, he caught 39, and those 26 went for first downs. So again, he's not going to wow you with a lot of athleticism, but I think here's a guy that could definitely be a 75 to 80 catch guy not going to score a ton of touchdowns he's only got three in his career but again with that opportunity now again i guess if they do make the trade for julio jones now maybe that gets muted a little bit but i'm going to stick with anthony firxer a lot of upside here the opportunity is there for those targets that have to go somewhere and they do like the tight end we'll see if Tannehill finds that rapport with him. He seems to have it when he is in there. So Anthony Ferkser, tight end, Tennessee Titans.
1: Interesting pick. I mean, I guess I'm going to write this name down because I'm going to be preparing for fantasy season and I need to have that second tight end in the later rounds, maybe in the the 13th or 14th round that I was, uh, I'm i going to stash away. And, about, and, and, about, and, and be... about a
0: month into the season when his numbers are much better than they were last year, then we could talk about that too. But, any I digress. Go ahead.
1: They have A.J. Brown. They've got Josh Reynolds, who they signed. They lost Corey Davis. We'll see what happens if that trade occurs with, you know, with Julio Jones. But they're still a running team, though, Lou, right? I mean, they're they're still going to rely on Derrick Henry because Mike Rabel is who he is. He's old yes. school. He likes yep. to be physical, run the football, control the clock. So they're not going to allow, like, Tannehill to throw the ball 35 or 40 times a game. That's not a good recipe for success for the Titans.
0: I agree with that. I mean, no no question about that. I mean, Derrick Henry, that's, you know, they go as he goes, basically, you know, and the defense. So, yeah, I mean, just from a, a breakout perspective – Again, he's going to be getting most of the snaps, and those numbers are trending up. When he does get his opportunities, he does produce, and I'm going to stick with him. I, I, I like Anthony sir. All
1: right, I'm going to go with another second-year player. I expected a lot more out of this player as a rookie, and that's why I'm betting on him here, because... He doesn't have as much competition in the backfield. I'm going to go with the running back, J.K. Dobbins. Last year, over 800 yards. He scored nine touchdowns. He got six yards per carry, which is very important. You know the Ravens are another team like the Titans. They're going to run the football. With Ingram gone, it opens the door for J.K. Dobbins to be the number one guy. Last year, it was him and Gus Edwards kind of splitting carries a bit in the second half of the season. I think that J.K. Dobbins will assume the starting role and become a full-time back here. And that means that he's going to get like 1,200 rushing yards easily in this offense because the number one guy is just is going to carry the rock. I expected a lot more out of this player as a rookie. He's bound to bounce back and not only bounce back, but take his game to another level. And that's why I think he, he's going to be one of those big-time breakout players that people should keep an eye on.
0: He was definitely on my list. I mean, coming out, I mean, it was him, Hilaire, Jonathan Taylor. There's kind of teams were going back and forth. You know, who, who was going to be the best one? Who's the who's the top pick? Hilaire was the first one off the board late in, in round one. Had a so-so year. Actually, all three of those guys, but then... When they did have their opportunities, they did each show flashes, and Jonathan Taylor kind of came on at the end of the year, and he's got the best offensive line, I think, of the three. Uh, we'll see. I mean, the Chiefs' offensive line has been completely retooled. They, they could have a better offensive line. We'll see about Baltimore. But, yeah, J.K. Dobbins, is. I think he's going to be a stud beast in this league. The running back that I went with, though, was from the Rams, Cam Akers. Again, looking at opportunity and upside, Malcolm Brown is gone. So it was kind of a three-headed monster with Akers, Henderson, and Brown. Brown is gone, so now you're kind of down to Cam Akers and Daryl Henderson. Henderson's more of a receiving back. I think they'll use him in a few different ways. I don't know if there's going to be many bell cows in this league anymore, but I think Akers is going to get the majority of snaps at the starting running back position. He did have 625 yards. It did take him a while to get going during the course of the year, but then once he did, he kind of found some traction, had some big games, had one game of you know, like 180 yards. With Stafford being the quarterback now and opening up that offense, you're not going to be facing as many stacked boxes. The offensive line is a little bit of a question mark, but I truly believe that Akers, with this opportunity, is going to be a, that bust-out guy and all power to him and uh, and the Rams.
1: Cam Akers was also on my list, uh, Lou. So I, by second that. It's another running back that I had on the list, behind J.K. Dobbins. It took him a little time to get going, and he had some durability concerns as a rookie. He only had over 600 rushing yards, and with this new offense, you know, with Stafford and those weapons of wide receiver, I do think that they'll trust Akers a lot more because the team looked a lot more confident when they were able to to feature him and and run the ball and. And I do think that Cam Akers is due for a huge breakout season in year two. Maybe not a guy that that's going to go like in the the first few rounds, but a guy that you can you can get later on in the draft that that's going to just serve you. He up. only had 145
0: so, carries. You know, early in the year, he really wasn't getting much action. Which you know, again, they, something like you mentioned his health concerns and so forth. But he did have also, I mean, not a ton of receptions, but he did have 11 receptions. And had over 11 yards per catch. That bodes well uh, moving forward if they're going to throw them, throw him the ball out of the backfield. So that could also increase his numbers and, and get him uh, more opportunities to score.
1: Yeah, that's a lot of potential there. I thought when he was coming out of the draft from Florida State, I thought he was one of the better receiving backs coming out. He was going to give you that versatility. I was surprised that the Rams didn't feature him quite as much because... I mean, Todd Gurley got a lot of receptions in that offense, so Sean McVay likes to use the running back coming out of the backfield. Smart offensive coordinators love to create mismatches with those running backs out of the backfield, and I think Akers is definitely going to be able to bring you that dimension. I have to go with the quarterback, Lou, a quarterback that I've been Pumping up <laughs> all through this offseason. Well, everybody I just, knew that Everybody knew now. this
0: was coming. This is the, the worst kept secret, I think, in sports.
1: And that's why I started with CeeDee Lamb and J.K. Dobbins. And I had Cam Akers. I didn't want to like start right off the bat with the quarterback. But I have to go with Sam Darnold. I was a believer of him when he came out of the draft. I thought he was the best quarterback there. He hasn't lived up to the hype obviously some other players have done much better and that's Josh Allen and Baker Mayfield and Lamar Jackson. Right now he's got he's walking into a perfect situation it seems like with a head coach that believes in him. He's got Joe Brady that made Joe Burrow into a number 1 overall pick and a star. So there's a lot of potential in this offensive scheme. He's got more weapons of wide receiver with DJ Moore, Robbie Anderson, David Moore. They drafted Terrace Marshall. And the most important thing, I keep drilling this every week, he's got a healthy Christian McCaffrey back. And McCaffrey is going to touch the ball even more than Derrick Henry because he's got soft hands and he's almost like a wide receiver. I mean, his dad played wide receiver in the NFL, and therefore... Christian McCaffrey is just going to take off. It's going to serve Sam Darnold well. He doesn't have to go downfield. He doesn't have to... If he works through the second or third progression, he's just going to go to McCaffrey instead of some wide receivers that aren't able to get open. The stars are aligning for Sam Darnold. And like you mentioned last week, he's only 23 years old. He was stuck with Adam Gase, who didn't really teach him anything. I think he's going to a team where coaches are actually going to spend some time with him and make him into a good player. So I think the Panthers are on their way up, and I do think Sam Darnold is going to have a a breakout season, and he needs to. I mean, those numbers with the Jets, they looked promising at times when he was a rookie in 2019, he threw 19 touchdowns and over 3000 passing yards. Can you imagine that with that offensive line and those weapons? There's nobody else at the quarterback position that I would go with other than Sam Darnold.
0: Oh, okay. Then this I should maybe I should throw my quarterback in there now instead of the the, the wide receiver that I have. Let's does do anybody this. like Sam as much as Alex does? We know, you know Colin Cowherd loves him some Sam Darnold. I like Sam Darnold, too. But I guess let's start here. Let's get a baseline. Teddy Bridgewater coming out, Sam Darnold coming out. Where are you going?
1: Look, I got to go with Teddy. Yeah, <laughs> I was pumping up Teddy throughout that draft. I had a crush on Teddy Bridgewater. I really loved him as a prospect coming out. And he proved me right with the Minnesota Vikings there for a couple of years before he... Suffered that injury, and I wish him well with the Denver Broncos.
0: All right, now we're gonna get Alex's blood to boil because the quarterback I chose to break out is none other than your New York football giants, Daniel Jones. Yes, that Daniel Jones. Listen, weapons wise, if these guys are healthy, he's got a pretty good crew. Darius Slayton, he's always on the cusp, and we'll see if he can kind of, he can be a a breakout guy, but Shepard, and uh, they drafted Kadarius Toney, Evan Ingram, again, another one of these guys locked into uh, potential category, but the key is going to be Kenny Galladay taking pressure off of all of these guys because none of them are true number one receivers, right? And I think Galladay has the ability, if he can stay healthy, to be that number one receiver and take a lot of the double coverage away from these guys on a given play. So from that perspective, he's going to get a huge upgrade. Saquon Barkley comes back. The offensive line will need to step up a bit. He's got to get the ball security thing taken care of. I know another 11 fumbles last year, but he keeps showing a lot of athleticism when they run the the, the read option or he or he gets loose. He had like over 400 yards rushing last year. And if he can kind of figure out how not to trip over the yard lines or look out for the turf monster. Those numbers would be even better. He's got some things going for him. His deep ball is improved. He only threw 39 of them last year, but his passer rating was 134.3 on those deep balls. Uh, Completed nearly 50% of them, and I think they define, in this case, deep balls as an air yards over 20. I think everything is there in place. Daniel Jones, bring it home, man bust out.
1: It's tough for me to to jump on this bandwagon, and here's the reason why. The reason why I can't jump on this bandwagon is that the Giants have probably the worst offensive coordinator in football. Jason Garrett, I don't know how, how he lasted nine years with the Dallas Cowboys as their head coach, but once he took a step down and became an offensive coordinator for the Giants, thinking, that the Giants have some kind of an advantage because he's coached nine years in the NFC East. He knows the Eagles. He knows Washington. He knows the Cowboys, and he couldn't offer anything with the promising uh, second-year quarterback who took a major step back. As a rookie, Daniel Jones showed a lot of promise, and he made Dave Gettleman look smart. But in his second year, he took a huge step back And I realize that the turnovers, the fumbles, I mean, you mentioned that. But I think a lot of it has to do with that offense. It's not even the weapons. It's not even the offensive line. I think Jason Garrett is the least creative offensive coordinator in the league. And I thought the Giants were going to get rid of him because they struggled so much in the red zone. They weren't able to score touchdowns. They kicked field goals. I mean, that's a really talented group. You mentioned Saquon Barkley is coming back. Kenny Galladay is signed. I mean, the weapons are there. The offensive line, I'm sure, is going to play better because they had, you know, like three rookies starting last year. They're going to be better as second-year pros. But I'm just not buying the Jason Garrett being his offensive coordinator. And I think if Joe Judge had any guts, he would have fired him and brought in a new offensive coordinator. I just thought that was the way to go. And that's the reason why I can't, jump on this daniel jones bandwagon
0: things are aligned for him now whether he does or not you know that obviously that remains to be seen but it's not going to get any better so it's basically as, <clears throat> i'm sorry as far as daniel jones is concerned with the new york giants they this this may be do or die by like mid-season or maybe even closer to like thanksgiving time this may be it it's now or never. I'm going to roll the dice and I'm going to go positive and say this is his time and he's going to get it done. Not that he's going to crush the league, but I, but again, I think he's going to put up uh, relatively good numbers, much better than he has so far and can be, I mean, if we wanted to go into fantasy football terms, a viable fantasy starter.
1: Do you think he's going to take like a Josh Allen ascension? That's
0: huge, you know, because now again, Josh has done it over a number of years, and I think his overall skills and athleticism is better than Daniel, so I don't think he's going to show out that much, but I think he's going to reach, I guess, his peak play, and I believe that he can with this group.
1: I have to go with the defensive player, just because I think we've been focusing a lot on Talking about quarterbacks, running backs, wide receivers, tight ends. I don't want to leave a defensive player out. And that's the reason why... Somebody already would say that this guy broke out in his second year. But I still think that the sky is the limit for this player. And I think he could turn into one of the one of the better defensive linemen in the league. We're talking about top five. I'm not saying this is going to be like an Aaron Donald. He's not going to ascend to those levels. But I do think that this particular player has the capability, or at least he has shown that during his limited rookie season and then during his second year where he he just exploded. I'm going to go with the Tennessee Titans defensive lineman Jeffrey Simmons. And the reason why he fell in the draft was because of the injury, a serious injury. And the Titans took a chance on him. He played a little bit as a rookie. He showed some flashes. But in his second year... 49 total tackles, 3 tackles for loss, 14 QB hits, 3 sacks. Remember, he plays in a 3-4 defense. He's not going to be like a huge sack guy, but this guy can take on double teams. He can get to the quarterback. He stops the run. I'm going to say like a Josh Allen type of, he's going to skyrocket this season. I think Jeffrey Simmons is going to be in the running for defensive player of the year. I think he's going to turn out to be one of the best players from that 2019 NFL draft.
0: That limb isn't so strong. The defensive player of the year, Tom. But coming in, you know, before the injury, he was, probably looked like was going to be a top 10 player, right?
1: Guys with his, you know, size and speed and quickness, athleticism, they usually get pushed up. I mean, we see guys like that being picked in the top five, so... Yes he fell because of the injury the Titans got a steal and they're really prosper they're enjoying the rewards of Jeffrey Simmons. well
0: different player but you know same school uh, and he maybe fell for different reasons but Chris Jones do you see him being that type of player
1: I, I do I, I think both guys are, are similar in terms of their size, in terms of how disruptive they are when they get into the backfield. And Chris Jones, in my opinion, is, is a top three defensive tackle in this league. But the sky is the limit for this player. I think Simmons will take another huge step up in year three, and and I do think that he's going to be talked up as, as a possible defensive player of the year. Obviously Aaron Donald gets it every year, but I do think that Simmons is is going to be talked up in in a lot of NFLs. Mark
0: that down folks that's that again that is a limb to go out on. Okay my last player here with wide receivers you always look for okay this guy it's his second year he's kind of got his legs under him he's gonna break out when over the last few years it seems like there's rookies that just immediately you know step into the league and they you know obviously Justin Jefferson being one of them. Again, looking at those second-year receivers because they don't all come on and, and you know bust out onto onto the scene. I came up with three of them: Jerry Judy from Denver, Darnell Mooney from the Bears. But my third player and the one that I went with is going to be Brandon Ayuk from San Francisco. I took him over the other guys primarily because of the quarterback uh, situations with those two teams. Not really sure if you're going to you know how soon. Justin Fields is going to get out there for the Bears, and then again, you know, rookie quarterback, second-year receiver—they may not be on the same page right away. Judy again, Teddy Bridgewater is not going to throw the ball downfield much. Uh, Drew Locke is like hit and miss, but Cortland Sutton's back, so Jerry Judy I think has a chance. But Ayuk I think I'm going to go with because whether it's Garoppolo or Trey Lance. This dude is a player. Now, he had some injury concerns at Arizona State. He had some injury concerns coming into last year. It took him a while to get going. I think he only played in like 12 games. And he had a stretch, games 7 through 14, of which I think he missed two of those games due to COVID. But in six games, he played 45 receptions, 568 yards, four touchdown receptions versus what he did for the entire year of 60 receptions, 748 yards, and five TDs. So most of his production came in six games. So this is a guy that getting better opportunities, and that was with... Name your quarterback at that point. Mullins, uh, Bethard, you know, whoever. Maybe Debo Samuel is taking some snaps in some of those games. But he also had, in that San Francisco offense, wide receivers. Debo, of course, gets them as well as rushing attempts. Six rushes, 77 yards. He did have that stretch. So if he can kind of capitalize and continue to grow off of that stretch that he had, uh, I think he's going to put up some monster numbers. Debo's going to be in there. He's going to be getting some balls as well. But I think they will throw it enough that both of them can put up very good numbers, and both will get plenty of rushing attempts as well. But uh, I like this kid. I like what you know his physical makeup. I think that the offense lends to his style of play, and uh, I think he's going to be a great player.
1: I hope the 49ers trade for Julio Jones, and then Ayuk can be the number two, and and Debo can be the number three. Don't think he's ever going to be a number one, but I think he's going to be a good number two. A lot of people criticized actually the Niners for taking Ayuk with the 25th overall pick in the 2020 NFL Draft, and yours truly criticized them as well. I just didn't understand it based on his body of work, based on his production. They went with his physical tools. They went with his wingspan, his athleticism, his speed, and and they bet on him, and they were right. I mean, Kyle Shanahan and John Lynch struck gold because you mentioned it. I mean, he got 60 receptions, but he didn't play the entire season. It was a stretch for about, like, half of the season. So the sky is the limit. I hope so. I hope he stays healthy. Him and Debo have had some nicks and bruises. They've had some injuries. I think that's... That's the only knock that you will have on him. Let's go. I mean, Julio, Ayuk, and Debo. I mean, that would make the 49ers a a lethal offense going forward.
0: Well, occasionally I do get sucked in by Pac-12 players, you know. I mean, I'm on... In the Eastern time zone, you know, the late-night games that start at, like, uh, 1030 Eastern out here, that's, like, usually the the most chance, the best chance I get to watch uh, college football games, or at least the whole game without being interrupted. I tend to look at these Pac-12 players and just, you know, just love them at Arizona State. And, of course, I still have a special affinity towards um, Herm Edwards and his guys. But uh, just based on his play and the opportunity, yeah, he's going to be a breakout guy.
1: I think you and I have got a good list. Let's go Daniel Jones. I mean, let's go Sam Darnold. It, it's time to kind of, like, rise up and shut up and and show everyone why you were drafted, you know. Sam Darnold was drafted third overall. Daniel Jones was drafted sixth overall. Let, let's show the entire world that... Those GMs that selected them, that they got it yeah, right. well,
0: Sam's got, a, I think, maybe a little bit longer leash, but uh, I really think Daniel Jones has really got to make it happen early in the year. That experiment may may be over.
1: I mean, they, they threw him into the fire as a rookie, and he was the capable divisions of wide
0: open, right?
1: Absolutely, and you've got Saquon Barkley back. I mean, I made a case why I think Sam Darnold is going to be successful because of Christian McCaffrey. Well, Saquon Barkley is also a very good running back, and he's coming back from an injury, and you know he plays a vital part in that offense.
0: Absolutely. Wrap this up. I mean, we've got our breakout players. I think we had some some coaches. We talked about coaches that might be on the hot seat, that should be on the hot seat. And one of those names that came up as should be on the hot seat was John Gruden. I mean, we've talked about it on the show. We've talked about it offline. This guy who has kind of become almost a caricature of himself. His aura, his... A legend, if you would, is much bigger than anything that he's really accomplished in the league. Great X's and O's, guys. I mean, obviously, he's put in—he's a grinder. Nobody beats him into the building. Nobody—you know, he's the last one out of the building. What is it about John Gruden that keeps him around or that he's always in in the conversation? Because, you know, other than winning that Super Bowl in Tampa, which I think you aptly put— with tony dungy's defensive players for the most part what can we point to and say there you go you know other than rich gannon getting the mvp before he went to tampa what can we point to and say this is makes john gruden a great coach
1: there's nothing that i can point to and that's the reason why i'm struggling here john gruden's name is just bigger than what he actually has accomplished in the league and and the only team that seems to really buy into him are the raiders Doesn't matter who they are, the Oakland Raiders, the Los Angeles Raiders, the Las Vegas Raiders, they've always had an infatuation with Gruden. When he left the first time, when they traded him away, and he went to the Bucs and then won a Super Bowl in his first year in 2002 with the Bucs, he showed the Raiders, hey, you shouldn't have let me go, and he beat them, by the way, in the Super Bowl, right? He beat Bill Callahan and, and Rich Gannon in the Super Bowl, but it was because they had a great defense. Tony Dungy built that cover two defense. They had Derrick Brooks. They had Warren Sapp. They had a great secondary with John Lynch and Rondé Barber. It was a great defensive effort. So I can't say that he brought like a great offensive scheme that he made Brad Johnson much better, who was the Super Bowl winning quarterback, where Keyshawn Johnson was was outstanding. He didn't bring anything new to that offense he maybe brought some life into the building and the bucks obviously got over the hump and were able to win the super bowl i'm not going to take it away from him you win the super bowl you're never going to be able to take that away but he's been in the league for 14 years lou and what i'm surprised about is he's only had six winning seasons six winning seasons it's not like he's been in there like 10, 12 seasons, you know, in the playoffs. And you might be losing like in the first round or in the second round. No, he's had a lot of 8-8 eight and eight seasons. He's had a lot of losing seasons. He left Oakland. Then he went to Tampa. I thought he stuck around in Tampa for way too long before they got rid of him because... His career was kind of up and down after that first year when he won the Super Bowl. Obviously, the Oakland Raiders, or now Las Vegas Raiders, they believed in him. They signed him to a huge contract. But when you look at his 14 years, 114 wins and 110 losses, that's a 500 record. So the infatuation with John Gruden is just out of control. He's built his brand. He's built a name. He's a very colorful character on, on ESPN, and I think that's what he should do. He should go back to being an analyst, being a commentator. He did a really good job at ESPN, but I think the game has passed him by. I don't think he he's brought something revolutionary to Derek Carr or the Raiders, and he certainly hasn't accomplished that. And maybe I'll eat my words, when John Gruden leads the Raiders to a twelve or thirteen win season next year, but we'll see. I just I doubt. No,
0: it. I don't know. I mean, not in the division that they play in or that, that conference for that matter. You know, right now you've got the Chiefs, you've got Buffalo, you've got Cleveland. Again, we'll see. But I would say those are the three teams that you're really looking at. But then right behind them, I mean you you still have Baltimore you don't know what you're going to get out of you know Pittsburgh you know they always have a chance right colts you know maybe we'll see what happens with with Carson Wentz you know the chargers are an up and coming team and again that's in their own division so to really really finish third in that division would be a huge accomplishment based on what he's done so far since he's been back with the raiders i mean it's been a lot more sizzle than it's been steak you know with the draft picks and everything i mean is is he kind of um, trumping these picks from Mayock. Uh, Is Mayock in charge? It seems like, uh, I'm pretty sure, based on what they're paying Gruden, he runs the show, has final say on everything. I'm just not seeing it. I'm not feeling it. Uh, They needed an entire defensive overhaul. The offensive line had to be completely retooled yeah they've got some skill position players that you think are going to be good but again they're very much unproven in that in that perspective so who can you really count on outside of waller Carr to a degree josh jacobs maybe yeah i, I i'm just not feeling it then you have a, a, another guy and what you're speaking of pittsburgh with uh mike tomlin i mean he might be kind of like a polarizing dude i mean he's a great guy to lead an organization to hear his press conferences just the way he talks how he communicates you just got to believe the players that he has will, are going to run through a wall for him now it hasn't translated into much over the last few years and the Steelers are notorious with you know sticking with their coaches they've had I think three coaches in the last 50 years right is he overrated is he going to get them back on track moving on from Roethlisberger and kind of holding on for that last run? Where do you come down on Tomlin? Because, I, again, I have so much respect for the Steelers. I, I've always hated the, the, the team and, and just everything about them. But I have a lot of respect for them because they have a tradition. They have a way of going about business and it's worked for the most part here we are you know talking about them maybe being third place
1: in their own division it's all about winning the super bowl for me Luke. it is for them that's and for tomlin, sure and tomlin and tomlin hasn't done enough of that he's only won one super bowl and and that was way back in 2008 that was in his second year when he was still a young guy i think he was like At that time, he was like 36 years old, I think. He inherited a really good team from Bill Cowher, who walked away. So another guy, like John Gruden, who just basically won with Cowher's guys. He's a really good regular season coach, but he doesn't seem to close the deal. He's unable to do so. He's lost a lot of big games, whether it's the AFC Conference Championship, whether it's AFC Divisional Playoffs. He's had some really good teams. I mean, excellent teams. I mean, that defense in his 10-year has been great 11 or 12 seasons out of the 14 that he's been coaching. I don't want to disrespect Mike Tomlin because in his 14 years as a head coach, he has 145 wins, only 78 losses. So he's got a winning percentage of 65%. That's really good. I don't think there's ever been a head coach recently in the last 15 years that has done less with more talent around him. And I don't think I should tell our listeners, you know, the talent level that he's at with Big Ben and Le'Veon Bell and Antonio Brown and Juju. And they've always had a good offensive line. And that defense has always been excellent. So I just think Tomlin always mismanages those games, those big games. He's unable to win against those so-called great coaches like Bill Belichick. That's my problem. You know, with time... You got to finish it. You got to come up with the big win. You you got to beat up on the top coaches. You got to advance. You got to get to the Super Bowl. And he hasn't done that since 2008. So with all due respect, we can't be living in the past. I mean, this was like 13 years ago. He did this in his second year. I realized that the Steelers are not going to cut bait Obviously, they won 12 games last year. They exceeded expectations. I mean, this is the same team that was, what, 10-0, 11-0 before they collapsed. But usually I see the Steelers collapsing in the playoffs. And the biggest problem is with Mike Tomlin, and he mismanages the clock, the game. It always seems to go wrong for him. A very good regular season coach, but a very suspect playoff
0: coach. Well, as he would say himself, the standard is the standard. So, and that basically what that means is it's Super Bowl or bust because it's the Pittsburgh Steelers. And another, I guess, cliche, if you would, you're only as good as your last game. And in their last game, I mean, a playoff game at home. Uh, now, granted, there was nobody in the stands, but still, I mean, they're playing at Heinz Field. I don't know of another playoff game that I've ever seen where a team has had a worse first half or first quarter, first first few series. I mean, it was over before it really started, and it's just like, wow, how could this team just come out and just be so not ready to play? And I don't know that it was really X's and O's, but in what you think he's good at as far as motivating a team and having them in the right mind frame. They were completely out of sorts and it was just uh, just completely out of character for the Pittsburgh Steelers. So that I think more so than the lack of Super Bowls is just the way they kind of finished the season and it just didn't look like them. You can lose games, but that that was embarrassing. Now they scored a bunch of points late, you know, during the course of the game and really never got close, but that was that was an embarrassing loss, trust me, for the Rooney family, for Pittsburgh and just it, that was just ugly. So, we'll see what happens this year and I think he's got a lot to prove at this point. Not that they'd ever fire him because that's not really what they do, but one last name and And I kind of brought this up before we came on and before we started recording. I don't know that I really thought it through, but I just, you know, throwing some names around. But Pete Carroll, again, he's won a Super Bowl. Yeah, I don't know if the NCAA took it away from him, but, you know, national championship at, uh, at USC. You know, kind of flamed early on in his career back with the Patriots and then again with the Jets. Resurrected things at USC and God bless him. Yeah, I mean, the guy's very positive, you know, can motivate, great defensive coach, the whole thing. The Seahawks, he's kind of obviously brought them to perennially being a contender. But again, another one of these guys that it seems like, other than that Super Bowl run, and again, they probably should have won two in a row. I don't know if that was his call down on the goal line, but I still, every time you watch the film, it's like, give it to Marshawn. Give it to Marshawn. Give it to Marshawn. But they don't. And of course, Russ throws the interception. But but short of getting Russell Wilson, it doesn't seem like he's had much success at the NFL level. Has had great defenses post Legion of Boom and and kind of you know, moving, shuffling players around. It hasn't been what it was once was. Draft choices have been hit and miss. Again, I can go either way on this. I just wanted to get your take on it. What do you think about Pete Carroll as a pro coach?
1: I'm not on board with this, that Pete Carroll is an overrated NFL head coach. I mean, he has resurrected himself. And I'm not talking about what he did with the USC Trojans. I'm not taking into account his Jets' loan season or when he was with New England for three years. When he's been in Seattle, and that's been 11 years over the last nine years he's had a winning record for nine straight years he has won I mean I'm looking at it and he's won more than 10 games in ten of those seasons it didn't start well because when he went to Seattle in 2010 it was seven and nine 2011 seven and nine and you thought okay it's the same old Pete Carroll but then he in 2012 he went 11 and five 2013 they went. 13-3, and three, and they won the Super Bowl. Then they went to the Super Bowl again and, and lost that game. And, like what, year, and what year to did Russell Wilson come? Russell Wilson came in 2012. So he's done it with Russell Wilson. I agree with that. But, look, you you can make a case with, with every great head yep. coach. I mean, Bill Belichick and Tom Brady. All right? I mean, you don't have to go too far. I mean, will Bill Belichick be here without Tom Brady? I would say no, and I think last year kind of great play. Great players will
0: help make great coaches. I mean, there's no question. You cannot win at the highest level without, you know, great talent.
1: Andy Reid wouldn't be where he is right now without Patrick Mahomes, and he would have been on this list, Lou, if he didn't win that Super Bowl against the 49ers. He would have been on this list just because, I mean, my criteria is you have to win the big one and you have to be consistent at it. And if you haven't done it in a long, long time. So I'm not on board with Pete Carroll here. He's been to two Super Bowls. He's won one and he's had nine straight winning seasons. I would say we can't hold the past against him. He has learned and in his third try and most head coaches in the NFL don't get a third try. They get a second try. Well, Pete Carroll was able to resurrect himself in college with the Trojans and got another shot with Seattle. I think what he's done for that defense, I just think he's done a lot for this program. Yes, Russell Wilson has been a huge part in his success, but they kind of go hand-in-hand here, like I mentioned, with... Bill Belichick, and Tom Brady as well. So I'm not on board with calling Pete Carroll an overrated heck. All right,
0: Pete, order that uh, that case of Wrigley's. You're good for another season, per Alex Kaptoff. That's going to do it for us this week, gang. We we truly appreciate you downloading and listening. So for Alex, I'm Lou. Till next week,
1: peace.